Welcome to the St. Andrew Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you believe, or whether you even believe at all, you belong here. As we continue our readings of the Beatitudes, we turn again to the Gospel according to Matthew. For centuries, the Gospel according to Matthew has served as a New Testament foundational document of the church rooted in the teachings of Jesus Christ. Matthew's Sermon on the Mount, the Eight Beatitudes, and the Lord's Prayer are among the most widely known treasures in the tradition and heritage of the church. Yet this morning, our reading makes us feel uncomfortable. As Jesus completes this opening section of the Sermon on the Mount, we find Jesus speaking of the blessedness of being persecuted. It appears odd to us that Jesus would say such a thing, but persecution has often been the consequence of righteousness. As with all the Beatitudes, the promise includes a call. As disciples, we should not be afraid to sacrifice certain comforts and even our reputation for the sake of God's mission of love and compassion. Of course, this doesn't mean that we should seek out persecution. It is clear from the text that Jesus, though, expected his followers to be persecuted. The good news is the promise. The persecuted have a stamp of courage on their soul, and they have joined, indeed, an honorable company, Elijah, Amos, Isaiah, and Jeremiah, just to name a few. That is the promise, that God will never leave us, that somehow, some way, through suffering and persecution, there is redemption and there will be reconciliation. Hear now these words from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, and verse 10. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. May God add a blessing to the reading of this word. Friends, here we are again, the Beatitudes, 
And we have covered all but two of these upside down, inside out, focused words of Jesus, which, as Rev. Jerry said, maybe stir us, unsettle us, and even upset us. And maybe you're tired of hearing about these nine supposed blessings. I get it. I get it. I have a friend, a childhood best friend, and our moms were best friends. We even shared the same birthday, except she is exactly one year older. By training, Jenny is an engineer, and I love her for it. Between us, our joke is that I do feelings and she does calculus. And for many years, we've shared our Thanksgiving meals together. She takes over my kitchen, and it starts to smell and become kind of like a a chemistry lab. She makes a list of all the order of what's to be cooked and the precise oven temperatures and when things should go into the oven at the approximate time. And, I mean, it's, it's a whole ordeal where I'm more of the... Tell me, does it really have to be diced that small? What kind of music do we want to listen to? And, you know, I'm just more of the, well, think of it this way, kind of like pastoral meets practical. More of the sous chef that just kind of stays to the side. Anyway, we were together one particular Thanksgiving, and my son Sam, who was about four at the time, and he was a very picky eater, And at that particular Thanksgiving meal, he was sitting there at the table, kind of putzing around with his food and and playing with his apple, which was unfortunately kind of turning brown. And I started to engage Sam, truthfully just hoping to get enough food in his mouth so that I could enjoy my Thanksgiving dinner. And Jenny pipes in from the kitchen. Well, actually, the apple is turning brown because once you peel the outer layer and skin off the apple, the apple comes in contact with the air and it oxidizes, changing the molecular structure. That's turning it a different color, Sam. There was a long silence. And Sam, who as a kid kind of looked like Charlie Brown, he had these big bucket cheeks and just kind of sprigs of hair and just kind of stared at me. And in that moment, I knew Sam was not touching the apple. It was going to be a long Thanksgiving dinner. And he said, Mama, who is Aunt Jenny talking to? And that's kind of how I feel when we hear the Beatitudes. I think some of us wonder, wait, Is Jesus really talking to me here? We hear these teachings and we go, "Mm, I don't know. I mean, blessed are those who mourn. Been there, done that. Yep. Blessed are the peacemakers. Sure, count me in. I love peace. Blessed are the pure in heart. I got it. I'm all heart. Blessed are the persecuted. Not me. No, thanks, Jesus. I'm good. I'll pass on that. But friends, it's 
No mistake that the Beatitudes take such high priority in this Gospel of Matthew for this very reason. The Beatitudes, as Rev. Jerry said, and the entire Sermon on the Mount found in the Gospel are this daring act of protest against the current ways and order of the world. And yet they have stood the test of time across century and served as a foundational source for Christian ethics and moral leaders and a sustaining faith for people from John Wesley to Mahatma Gandhi to Dorothy Day. And there is still something I believe relevant and real that relates to us here and now. Today's verse you see is in the present tense and stands in contrast to the other blessings apart from the first beatitude. For the poor in spirit and the persecuted, there is indeed good news. The kingdom of heaven is not only near, it is actually breaking in. Breaking in and breaking through with the very words and life of Jesus. And in fact, the reordering of reality is occurring even now, right here when we take these words to heart. Blessed are the persecuted in the cause of justice. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. Last week we talked about the word righteousness in the translation actually meaning justice. The Beatitudes, you see, even though they build on one another, are not simply like this paint by number that reveal some sort of world beyond this one when we see it all come together. It's not a world simply marked by blessings and rewards, but rather Jesus is speaking to us not in the someday, but in the here and now, in our current time, in reality, in this world, even in which we can't even imagine. The words of Jesus in the Beatitudes give us a lens in which to see this world and a clarity that God is present in this world now, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our mourning and persecution, and that God is not just some pie-in-the-sky figurehead that suddenly appears one day in a heaven far away. The gospel writer in Matthew is speaking, you see, to an oppressed people in the early church, trying to comfort them and assure them that the presence of God is indeed among all those who are suffering. And while the Beatitudes are kind of a, a manifesto of sorts for a way of life that challenged the Roman Empire, the vision that they cast and the, the shaking up of everything does not get easier to embody with the passing of time. But yet, the comfort and the blessing remains and can indeed become a source of strength for us today as it has been for people of faith throughout centuries. And while we can look at these blessings, and they may seem kind of simple at first, if we truly took them to heart and in fact, took them to the streets, the Beatitudes would turn the world and turn our lives upside down. 
Theologian Aaron Barado from Princeton says that our greatest challenge as people of faith right now is to make clear the sharp edges of these blessings, to ground them in the lived realities of those who Jesus calls blessed, and to avoid kind of watering them down, these revolutionary teachings, which are simply more than ancient words. They are, in fact, a promise to us today so that we too can see and experience a glimpse, if only a glimpse, of God's world as God envisioned it, a world and a humanity of a world of what's possible, a beloved community of sorts, a world filled and known and experienced through equity and justice and love and compassion. When we hear the term persecuted, as Rev. Jerry mentioned, we, we likely recall the prophets of old, Amos, Elijah, Jeremiah, Isaiah, and that makes sense. But Jesus' words are not new because they are deeply rooted in God's promise of old and the ancient promises delivered and given to Moses, but they translate. They apply in the here and now. For you see, the the mountain for both Moses and Jesus is a liminal space where humanity and the divine communicate, a place of instruction where the heavens and the earth meet. I like to think that there's no coincidence that we're right here in the Rocky Mountains here today for this very reason. So again, these are not new words, but they have new meanings. And I wonder where the Beatitudes can take us today. In Jesus's own Aramaic language, in the New Testament Greek, the word translated righteousness in Matthew 5.10 is the same word translated justice. Jesus's blessedness or blessing of the persecuted in the eighth beatitude is a clear alignment of himself and the kingdom of heaven with those who are persecuted, not just in their pursuit of justice, but it's also not exclusive to those who are Christian. Palestinian Archbishop Father Elias Shakur, in his book, We Belong to the Land, describes a very helpful contextual description of this particular beatitude, which I think can deepen our experience of what this means when he says, blessed are you. Bishop Elias Shakur, also known as Abuna Shakur, is the first Palestinian bishop raised and educated in the Palestinian Arab sector of Israel. He writes, knowing Aramaic, the language of Jesus, has greatly enriched his understanding of Jesus's teachings. Because the Bible, as we know, is a translation of a translation. And sometimes he says we get it wrong. We get the wrong impression. For example, he writes, we are accustomed to hearing the Beatitudes expressed passively, as in, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they shall be satisfied. Or blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. 
The term blessed, however, in the translation of the word makare used in the Greek New Testament doesn't quite fit though. So when you actually go back and you look at the Aramaic, you find the original word ashray was from the verb yashir. Ashray doesn't have this passive quality to it at all. Instead, it means to set yourself on the right way for the right goal to turn yourself around. Shakur says, how could I go to a young man in a Palestinian refugee camp and, for example, say, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, or blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of justice, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That young man wouldn't wouldn't believe me at all or have any faith in me or my God that we understood his plight and he would be right. So hear the Aramaic translation in the contemporary reading this way. Get up, go ahead, do something, move. You who are hungry and thirsty for justice, for you shall be satisfied. Get up, go ahead, do something, move, you who are peacemakers, for you shall be called children of God. This actual reading reflects Jesus' words and teachings much more accurately. You can almost hear Jesus saying to us, my friends, get your hands dirty. Go out and build this society. Build a society, a just society for human beings. Otherwise, people will be tortured. People will be hurt. There will continue to be poverty. There will continue to be the voiceless, the hungry, the powerless. As we dig deeper into this text, I think it's so important to realize that there is very little, if not nothing, about Christianity or our faith that is meant to be passive, but rather we are called to be active, engaged, alive, going beyond despair. In fact, we are called to get up, move, to go beyond. This is what Jesus is in fact saying in Aramaic and saying to us here today. In subsequent verses in Matthew, when Matthew speaks to persecution for the sake of faith, and then we are later told in chapter five to be the light of the world and let our light shine. Some would kind of skip over that verse in chapter 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake and make it only about an individual experience of persecution. But very intentionally, Matthew is talking about broadening the community here and including all people who are persecuted. Now, I can think of several people who have been persecuted because of their commitment to faith, to justice, to righteousness. And if asked, if we took a poll here today, I imagine some of you could as well. Likely, we would name many of the same people Archbishop Oscar Romero, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Rachel Corey, Nelson Mandela. 
I'm also thinking of a woman I know from afar who just most recently came into my life, a woman of great faith and deep devotion who is now seeking asylum in France because she and her wife have been beaten in her homeland by her own family out of their own religious convictions. I'm remembering the risk of our guide most recently on my trip with others here from St. Andrew of our God, Muhammad, who, while we were walking across Palestine, guided us around an area of conflict and arranged Muslim neighbors in a village the next village over, even in a time of Ramadan, to offer these white, muddy American Christians safety before dark, even when it meant that he would be stranded at a checkpoint not making it home to break the fast with his own family. I'm also remembering my friend Carrie, a disability rights lawyer here in Colorado, a clergywoman who advocated for the rights of all people to have access and be able to attend and move freely within our community. I'm remembering Cat Steve, a homeless man on the streets of Denver who cared for the animals who embodied the spirit of St. Francis, though he hadn't stepped foot in a church for more than 30 years. Now you could likely add from your life others whose faith in the pursuit of justice have cost them something. Perhaps it cost them their job, their relationships, their health, their faith, maybe even their life. Maybe you would add yourself to that list. I know you're out there. I've met you. I know your stories. And if you're sitting there thinking, Ashley, Amy, my faith hasn't cost me much at all. I'm not counting you out because you're a part of this community and the larger community of faith. And we have work to do, my friends. So I listen to the Beatitudes and I think and I wonder and I pray, what would it be like for us to be a church of the Beatitudes? I mean, to really take these on and get serious about these teachings of Jesus. Isn't that after all the core of our faith, the mission of the church? to point the world to a vision of what could be, to move beyond our walls into the public spaces and be a church in the world with the liberating message of God. Most recently, I came across an article by this guy, Daniel Alshair of the Association of Theological Schools that said, the culture no longer looks for a significant kind of leadership from religion. Religion, he writes, has been marginalized and shifted from being a culture-forming value to being a personal-forming value. And I thought, how sad is that? And this is a guy responsible for training Christian leaders. And yet, I don't think he's entirely off in his assessment. But I do think, if I look at the headlines— 
We see that religion does play a significant role in society today. It's just a matter of who defines the values and which version of Christianity is shaping the narrative telling the story of our faith. And and maybe it's just me, but I don't hear religious voices out there using the Beatitudes as the plumb line or the guiding principles, unless it's often Christians talking about their own persecution, while not acknowledging the persecution of Christianity persecuting other people of faith. But I wonder, what would a Christianity known for the Beatitudes really look like? What would it even sound like? What would a beatitude-centered church be like? Could we even imagine it? But isn't that partly why we draw strength and courage from those who have gone before us? Even the persecuted, those who have pursued the acts of justice? I read the stories of history I read the stories of people of faith for this very reason. Because it is because of their faith and clarity of vision, because they could see a world as it could be, beyond the world as it simply is, and they could truly act as if it were possible to radically transform the world, even if it meant that they themselves would never see the justice that they pursued. I kind of think that's why Jesus saved this beatitude for the end. He kind of wanted us to, to gain some moral courage to build up to this. But I wonder how our collective work and ministry might change the world if we lived into and lived out of these beatitudes. But full disclaimer here, it's going to cost us. Persecution aside, looking at the beatitudes, if I'm honest, there is something about pursuing justice that seems easier to me than living a life of faith that challenges the status quo and engaging people in the real transformational work, which is at the heart of all the Beatitudes. The late great pot stirrer or preacher, William Sloan Coffin of Riverside Church in New York City, had something to say about this, specifically to churches and congregations as they were considering their mission and vision of the world. He said, we are called not to mirror, but to challenge culture, not to sustain, but to upend the status quo. And if that to some sounds overly bold, isn't that, the, isn't that really what God is beckoning us to, towards horizons that we, in fact, aren't sure that we want to reach? Friends, as we wrap up this sermon series with the final sermon in the Beatitudes next week by guest preacher, the Reverend Dr. Kate Ott from Garrett Theological Seminary, who's going to be preaching on Blessed Are the Peacemakers. I want to be clear that that our messages, 
don't really land and aren't contained simply in a sermon series. That really the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount is at the heart of the gospel. It's our commitment that we make in our baptismal vows. It's our reason for existing as a church. I think that we, in fact, are called to be the hands and the feet of God. Not all of us are going to be Dr. King's, Gandhi's, Dorothy Day's, and that's okay. We need Mark's and Alice's and Mike's and Joanne's. We need us to show up as we are to transform this world. So yes, to that ragtag group of Galilean people on the margins that day in the first century who gathered to hear Jesus, these Beatitudes meant something different that day than they do to us today, living here, sitting here with privilege. But to refugees fleeing violence, to the poor who know the ache of an empty stomach, to those who have been stripped of their families, their livelihoods, who flee to live freely, seeking to be faithful, Jesus is speaking directly to them, to all who suffer and makes these promises. And in fact, Jesus is counting on us in the here and now to make them a reality. In fact, it's often the ones seeking, searching for justice I find that are the most present to the kingdom of God in the here and now because they can't count on tomorrow. They can't count on what's ahead. All they know and all they have is the present moment. So the question remains whether or not we will echo these promises, but not just respond to the words, but with our very lives. I hope that you will join me in considering what it means to take on this ministry. To be a witness grounded in the reality of the Beatitudes and taking one step closer in bringing the kingdom of God into the here and now. Our takeaways for today are simply this. The Beatitudes are clear. God is tangibly present in our suffering, mourning, and persecution. There is nothing about our faith or Christianity that is meant to be passive, but rather instead we are called to be active, energetic, alive, and go beyond despair, to get up, go ahead, move, and do something. And finally, yes, a life, a church grounded in the Beatitudes will come with some cost, but when taken to heart, the blessing of the Beatitudes becomes the transformational and foundational part of our faith. Will you pray with me? Generous and ever faithful God, you have spoken through your inspired word. Now grant us grace not to just be hearers of the word, but doers also. Guide us from here to be light, a light on the hill for all people a light of your spirit so that we might believe and act on what has been revealed to us today as we go forth. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. 
If you'd like more information about our church or our vision to eradicate social isolation and disconnection by practicing the faithful presence of the incarnate Christ, please visit GoStAndrew.com. See you next week.